Good morning all. You're welcome to church again today. And by God's grace, we'll continue from where we stopped yesterday. Thank you for coming. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for the gift of another day to come and learn at your feet. We thank you because only the living can praise you. In the grave where the dead go, they can't praise God. They can't worship, neither can they serve. So Lord, we receive with thanksgiving the gift of life and health today in the name of Jesus. Lord, we've come again and we have come with a desire to learn. Lord, we've set apart this weekend to come and learn at your feet. You are the one who said to us in your sermon on the mount that blessed are those who test for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. May our test to know about your kingdom and the kingdom lifestyle, may this test be satisfied in the course of this weekend in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that we began last night and we are carrying on this morning. Lord, I ask that you give every one of us a large heart to contain what you'll be saying to us. We have come not only to learn for ourselves, but to be equipped to advance your kingdom here on earth. Therefore, Lord, we ask that you will seize this moment to teach us from your word. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Before we go into today's topic, I announced the topic yesterday. Uh, this is the leadership forum. And I said to myself, I don't want this forum to be a teaching on leadership. I want it to be a session to provoke discussion, to provoke actions, a session where we develop action points of what to do. Because leaders, when leaders lead well, things go well with the people they lead. So I'm not going to start giving you teaching on leadership, principles of leadership, examples of leadership in the Bible. But I want us to do, learn at what Jesus, our model leader, did. For every leader, there is a task. There is an assignment. Jesus, as a leader and as a king who came to set up a kingdom on earth, he showed us how to put in place structures and people that can advance the kingdom. That's what I want us to do here. As leaders, let's see what we can do to raise people who will take over Enugu State, take over Enugu City for the kingdom of God. That's what I want us to do this morning. So I don't want us to go to theories of leadership. Like I said, this church is overblessed. God has blessed you with quality servants of God. I doubt if there's anything you need to know to be committed that you've not had yet. And like I said, if what I'm going to teach you this morning comes just only as a reminder, glory be to God, I'm not the first person to come here to teach. You people have been feeding from the best of servants of God. The team of clergy here, apart from the 
the nourishment they give you to also bring in other men of God to speak to you. So this morning I want to encourage you to know this is a leadership session. So I want you to have in your mind that I am not here just for myself as a leader. I am here to learn as a leader so that I can lead people. So you need to increase your capacity to learn. You need to increase your capacity to hear, process what you're hearing, and put it into something you can implement. In the course of this session, I want you to hear God and develop action points of what you need to do to be a leader. You see, leadership is not about occupying positions and office. It's not about office. It's about people whose lives are relevant to people they meet on daily basis. That's what leadership is all about. So leadership is not about only occupying an office. You remember in the Old Testament we are told that while Saul was king, it was David that was leading Israel to battle. But David was not a king. But he was one leading Israel to battle. He was relevant to Israel. Not because he was sitting in the position of a king, but because his life was adding value to the kingdom of Israel. So this morning we'll be talking about discipleship. A tool or a mold for advancing the kingdom of God. And before we go into this topic, I want to take few minutes to do a recap of what we did yesterday. Yesterday, the topic was the kingdom of God. What is it? I will say the kingdom of God is the rule of righteousness, peace, justice on earth. So the kingdom of God is not a geographic location like Nigeria that has 933 square kilometers, 933,000 square kilometers. No. So the kingdom of God cuts no boundaries. It's everywhere on earth. The kingdom of God is at work in every country, in every continent, where there are humans and animals, the kingdom of God is at work. And yesterday we learned that the kingdom of work is the totality of God's redemptive work on earth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, the Bible says that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling all things to himself. It's not only human beings God is reconciling. God is reconciling culture, economy, communities, governance, politics, agriculture. God is reconciling because God put all those things to function for his glory. But the devil stole God's kingdom from man. And the devil thought he would keep it forever. No, he won't keep it forever because he's a thief. The kingdom doesn't belong to him. The first kingdom we saw was in the Garden of Eden. Life in Garden of Eden was God's idea for mankind. A peaceful, prosperous, beautiful community of godly relationship. God used to come down every evening and have fellowship with Adam. The garden was the most beautiful of any place you can think of. Everything was, there was nothing man needed that was lacking in the garden. 
God wanted man to live a beautiful life on earth. Devil stole it. Corrupted it. But God has come back to take what belongs to him. That's why Jesus came. And we said yesterday that the way to enter into that kingdom is through repentance. Though the kingdom of God is at work all over the world, everybody on earth is not a member of that kingdom. Just like you are a Nigerian, you are not a citizen of Ghana because you are not a Ghanaian. You can visit Ghana and come back. You can go to Ghana and study, do business. It doesn't make you a citizen. There are foreigners living in Nigeria, working in Nigeria, making business, prosperous. It doesn't make them Nigerian citizens because they are not Nigerian citizens, either by birth or by government you know, uh, uh, policies. So not all human beings living on earth are members of God's kingdom. You only become a member of that kingdom by repentance. And when we repent, we receive salvation. We become heirs of the kingdom. We sing it in song in those days. We are heirs of the Father. We are joint heirs with the Son. We are children of the kingdom. We are family. We are one. You want to be a member of the kingdom? You must be born again. Even though you can operate within the kingdom, get a job, do business, make money, you can die without being a member of the kingdom. And we say that the ultimate reason why Jesus came is to take this kingdom of the world back to God. So the primary reason why Jesus came is not to save you from sin. Not to save me from sin. It's part of the kingdom, but that's not the ultimate. We need to get it right as the church. The mission of the church is the mission of Jesus Christ on earth. The church does not have any mission of her own. Our mission is a continuation of what Jesus came to do. So we don't have a mission of our own. Our mission is to carry on what Jesus began. So the kingdom of God came at the birth of Jesus Christ. That's why he said repent for the kingdom of God is the coming of Jesus was the coming of the kingdom. And when Jesus finished the work of setting the kingdom, he went back to heaven. The church carried on. And ultimately, this kingdom will come in his second coming. When he will now put an end to all evil. When he will take away the church and judge the world. And bring an end to all forms of evil and unrighteousness. So the kingdom of God is in motion right now through you and I, through the church. So the church is not the same as the kingdom. But the church is the membership of the kingdom that drives the kingdom of God here run out. Praise the Lord. Yesterday I began by setting an objective. Did we achieve our objective? Our objective yesterday in the course of the teaching, did we achieve it? Did we achieve the objective? We did. I said the objective was to help us understand 
that the primary mission of Jesus on earth was to set up a kingdom and to ultimately make the kingdom of this world the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. So that's what we did yesterday. And I pray that the Lord still reminds us of those things. This morning, we're going to look at discipleship as a tool for taking the kingdom of God on earth. And by the way, yesterday, when I was speaking, I was making references to some people that came into the kingdom and did some specific things. That's why I said, every one of us who has come into this kingdom, there is something, an assignment for us to do. Yesterday, I think I mixed up uh, uh, the names of uh, Isaac Newton. I think it should be John Newton. Somebody pointed it out to me. The author of the hymn, Amazing Grace. You know, so I... Please, thank you for that. Somebody pointed it out to me. You know, the, the, the captain of the ship. His name is John Newton. Not Isaac Newton was the one who did scientific research that brought... Um, ah? Yes, motion, Isaac Newton. And by the way, he was a Christian. I hope you know that. Good. Now, we need to be good students of history. Can I actually tell you that history is the most important subject on earth? But you know, in our ego, we relegate history to the background. Everything in life has a history. The church has a history. There's history of physics, history of chemistry, history of education. Everything in life has a history. And if you don't know the history, you don't know where you're coming from. You may likely not know where you're going. The Bible is... The most authentic historic book. Yesterday I started by telling us that this is not a church book. This is more than a church book. This is not just a spiritual book. This is a scientific book. This is an economic book. This is a historical book. This book is an engineering book. Everything you think of in life, you find it in the Bible. So stop treating the Bible as a church book. If you want to grow this kingdom. So this morning we are going to talk about discipleship. Turn with me to Mark chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 28. That's our main Bible passages. We make reference to others. Mark chapter 3 is a popular one. You cannot talk about discipleship without making reference to that. But we want to look at it. Not just as a spiritual assignment. We want to look at it in the light of the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to 15. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed the twelve that they might be with him. And that he might do what? Send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and treat to do what? Cast out demons. <laughs> Alright. I know that this is one of the most popular Bible passages in the whole of New Testament. Apart from John 3.16. You can't talk of this discipleship training without this passage. And over the years, our discipleship has been narrowed down 
to personal spirituality. We just want to teach people assurance of salvation, quiet time, fasting, praying, you know, speaking in tongues, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, to be with Him is good. That's the beginning point. So, discipleship is not just about teaching people spiritual things. How to spend quality time in God's prayer and enjoy God. Good. Someone said that the church is the only organization that does not exist to serve itself. The church exists to serve the world. That's the mission of the church on earth. To serve God's purpose in the world. So we reduce discipleship to just teaching people, you know, live a holy life so you can go to heaven, you know, make sure you are living right, which is good. But Jesus' agenda for discipleship is much more than that. He brought them that they might be with him, personal devotion, good. That they might do what? Go out and what? Preach. And what are they supposed to preach? Not just salvation of the soul. They are to preach the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is about justice. Social justice. It's about setting the captives free. It's about healing the sick. Healing the sick is, in in their days, there were no hospitals. So healing the sick was only a spiritual thing by the power of the Holy Spirit. But as the world advanced, the church realized that healing the sick is not only a spiritual thing. You need to build hospitals to heal the sick. So, Jesus discipled them for a task. It's not just for their personal edification in quiet time and the rest. So, discipleship is a training for a task. A training to accomplish a task. Discipleship is a training to engage the society. To go and heal the sick, cast out demons. And you know, we feel like demons are only spiritual things. Brothers and sisters, demons are much more than spiritual because in Jesus' days, Jesus' days, they are not the same with our days. Jesus' days did not have the modern society that we have today. So Jesus, if Jesus were to be here now, discipling me and you, to go and cast out demons, it's not only mad people who are possessed. Jesus is going to go and cast out the demon of corruption in government offices. That's part of the demon to cast out. Jesus will be sending us to go and cast out the demon of tribalism and favoritism. Jesus will be training us to go and cast out the demons of cheating, exam and practice. Jesus will be discipling us to go and cast out the demon of sexual immorality, abortion in hospitals. 
the demons of politicians who go into office to just eat public money. They are demons. I will need to cast them out. It's not only spiritual demons. So in Jesus' days, they don't have a functional society like we have today. So casting out demons is only something you do for mad people. People who are possessed. Jesus has been setting on to go and cast out the demon of poor standard of education. As an education administrators and teachers and lecturers. Go and set things right in the educational sector. Go and cast out the greed of laziness in the public sector. In this country, this is the only country where people work in government. At the end of the month, there is no money to pay salaries. Why? Most of the people who work in civil service, their work does not generate services that can be converted into money. What a country we have. Why will somebody wake up and go to work and at the end of a month, the work you did does not translate into income to government. And government is looking for money to pay salaries. It can only happen in Nigeria. In Nigeria today, you go to an office and you have six people. Work that can be done by two people. All six people are doing They just from eight to four, they close and go. You go to an office where there are 10 vehicles. You have, you have 20 drivers on payroll. They don't drive. At the end of the month, they get paid. Because uh, somebody gives you, this is my brother, please employ him. This is my sister, please employ him. This is my friend's child, please employ him. People are employed. Work is about transformation of every work that we do to produce services or goods that is a blessing to the general society. You only go to Nigerian offices, people come to office and they gist from 8 a.m. until 4 p.m. and they close and go, no work. It can only happen in Nigerian government. The civil service is over bloated. Poor pro- the, the, the civil service is the least contributor to Nigeria's GDP. Everybody wants to work there. Because you can be in an office and tell my sister, please cover me up. I'm not on leave. I'll travel for three weeks. I'm not on leave. I'm not there to do my work. Somebody's covering me up. Why? There's actually no work to do. No work. If there is enough work for her and for me, she can't cover up for me. If Jesus were to be alive today and is discipling Christians in Nigeria, go and cast out the demon of low productivity in the public sector. So, discipleship is not just know Jesus, love him, embrace him, do this, Discipleship is a training for service. Discipleship is a training to die. Jesus is training us to die to ourselves and live for the kingdom. And he said it by himself. Except the evil may come, falls to the ground and dies. What, does, what happens? 
it abided alone. It cannot bear any fruit. Discipleship is a training to die. What does it mean? I'll take you back to the history of Anglican Church. CMS, Church Missionary Society. The young men and women who brought the gospel, the Anglican Church, their age bracket was 21 to 30. The maximum were 30. They were all graduates from Oxford University, Cambridge University. They came from United Kingdom, from England, Scotland, Wales, and much later some came from North America. From Harvard University, Princeton University. They came to Africa when Africa, you can't locate Africa in, in, the, in the map of the world. There was no form of civilization. In the course of my work, I've been privileged to go to all these countries in Europe and all, and I say, God, people go there to enjoy it. Each time I travel to London or to US and come back, I say, God, help me to value my faith. You mean these people? I, I went to Trafalgar Square in London and I learned that it was built in 14 something. It's over 600 years. At the time I visited 1999. And I say, you mean there is this level of civilization here? Young men and women left there to come to Africa to live in jungle and in bushes to bring Christianity to us. And they died here in Africa. They all died here. Discipleship is a training to die. A training to say to yourself, and like Jesus said, Today they are all heroes. Their names are in the book of history of Christianity in Nigeria. Every single one of them. They came here. They taught us our alphabet. We are able people. We don't know how to speak. They taught us A-B-B-D-A. They taught us how to speak our languages. Ojibo people. Hmm? They built schools for us and started teaching us until we became educated. What we make someone leave that level of civilization and good life to come to a continent full of darkness. Discipleship is training to die. And they were doctors, nurses, engineers, architects, teachers, accountants, preachers, first class brain. Till today, I was privileged to visit Cambridge in one of my trips. My host took me there and went to their faculty of theology in Cambridge. And I saw architectural designs. I saw my goodness. You mean people left this and came to Nigeria? And I, I am one of the products of their coming to Nigeria. And here we are begging us to live for Jesus. A Nigerian student will graduate in Nigeria in Enugu and we post him to Sokoto. You go and change it back to Lagos or Port Harcourt. He doesn't want to go and serve where they will kill him. I'm talking of born again Christians, not unbelievers. We've not been trained to die yet. You don't understand what is at stake. Every single of these men Jesus stayed with, they were all martyred. All of them were killed for their faith. That's why yesterday I said what Jesus said, 
the kingdom of God since John the Baptist suffered violence. Only the violent take it by force. Only those who are ready to lay down their life for this kingdom can advance this kingdom. This kingdom cost John the Baptist his head. For daring to stand up to Herod and tell him the truth, it cost him his life. Discipleship is a training to die. Die to your life ambitions. Die to everything that will make you to take a shortcut to what God wants you to do. Are we producing such Christians? Discipleship is also a military training. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28, the last one. Matthew 28, 18-20, we all know it. The place we call the Great Commission. Discipleship is a training, a military training. By God's grace, what I'm sharing with you is what God wants me to do. I want to put scriptures, I, 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 I want to paint the pictures of scripture with our real life so you can understand. So as we read, we know what Jesus is saying. Jesus began by saying, all power and all authority in heaven and earth is what? Given to me. Therefore, I say what? Go. Advance. He has spent three and a half years training them. And he said to them, this kingdom is at war. You are going to go and take over this kingdom by doing what? Teaching them, make disciples of all nations. Teaching them to observe everything I have asked you to do. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you know what it means? Just 12 men. Jesus is saying, go take the world over. Go and take over the whole world. Why? I have enough power backing you. And this power is not military arsenal. It's not F-16s or armor tanks. It's, it's, it's not the most sophisticated of guns. Neither is it anti-ballistic missiles. No. All power in heaven and earth is given unto. Therefore I say to you, go advance. Advance. Discipleship is military training. To go and take over enemy territories. And how do you do that? It's also by discipling. Just the way Jesus had trained the twelve. He had them to go and train other people just the way I have trained you. People who are trained with specific tasks, trained to die, trained to perform specific tasks, people who are willing to give their life so that this kingdom can grow. I just told you about people who brought Christianity to us. They didn't know what they were going to face when they came here to Africa. They didn't know. That's why they say West Africa is the white man's grave. They came here, they didn't know anything called mosquitoes. Mosquitoes beat them and kids. They weren't prepared for that. They weren't prepared for that. Some of the stories we read, mission history, we read of a particular set of young men when they were leaving. Their suitcase was a coffin. They used coffin as suitcase to pack their clothes. They were trying to send a message to their parents. They were saying, mommy, we won't see again forever. 
There was no technology in those days. When a ship leaves England in those days, it takes eight months to one year to arrive at Papa Port. The kind of ships we have is not the ocean liners today that in three weeks leaves London and comes here. No. And when they came, there were no aircrafts. There were no aircrafts then. I'm talking of almost... Anglican Church came to Nigeria 1842 or 1845. So approximately 180 or 70 something years. Somebody do the arithmetic for me. You know, I'm talking about people 180 years ago. How many of us here know the history of your town or your village 180 years ago? Anybody here? You don't. You don't even know your own history. They use coffee. They have been trained to And Jesus said, go and train more people to what? Die. And do what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father. What does it mean to baptize? We only know the spiritual meaning of baptism. Immersing people in water and they come out. That's a spiritual sign. But when Jesus said baptizing them, it's not just only water baptism. How do you baptize a nation where everybody is not a Christian? Where everybody is not saved? How do you baptize them? To baptize means to bring the entire... You know what is baptism? You submerge a human being underwater and bring it in water. Jesus is saying, go and subdue their cultural values, subdue their economic values, subdue their political values, immerse them in the rule of the kingdom of righteousness. That whether they are Christian or not, they live under the influence of the kingdom of God. That's what education did. I hope you know that education is the direct product of Christianity. Christianity, what you call Western education, is an offshoot of the gospel. Cambridge University is a product of the Church of England. In case you don't know that, go and research it. They brought education. By the time someone goes, what you call civic duties is part of the kingdom. Being a good citizen. Being a good citizen is a product of the gospel. It was the same thing Paul taught Titus. Teach them to be obedient to authority. You see that in Romans. He was teaching the Romans to be obedient to what? Authority. Because every government is existing under God's rule. Civic duties, agriculture. Jesus used agricultural imageries more than any other thing in his, in his parables. Go and check the Bible. Of all the stories and illustrations Jesus gave, much more, he used agricultural imageries. Say the, the kingdom of God is like a sower who went out to sow. Some fell on the wayside. Some fell on the rocks. Some fell on thorns. And some fell on good soil. What was Jesus telling us? When you go to preach the gospel, there are some places you will preach. It's as if you poured water on the ground. Nothing will happen. Sometimes we get discouraged. We don't even remember what Jesus told us. We don't remember. 
We just think we are the ones to save people. It will fall on the wayside. The best of it will come and carry it. There are people you will preach to. They are not listening. They are just waiting for you to finish and go. You are disturbing them. Hmm? I beg you to finish all this. They are not ready for the gospel. They don't even want to hear. And when you finish, you start worrying. Did I fast enough? Did I pray enough? Are you more spiritual than Jesus? Did Jesus convert everybody in his time? Brethren, we didn't pray enough. We didn't fast enough. That's why we didn't make converts. And then he says, some will fall on the rock. You know what? They will germinate. And they will get up. But there is no enough soil in a rock to allow the roots to go down and get nutrients. They will be dried up by the sun. Some people will believe this gospel, but not with all their heart. They want to try Jesus and see, is Jesus worth following for? There is no root. And where there is no root, the tree cannot grow. There are people who come to church for miracles and blessings. As far as Jesus does it, those are the ones that will fall on tongues. All they want is material blessings. As long as Jesus is giving me testimony of good life, I wanted the husband he gave me. I wanted a wife he gave me. I wanted children he gave me. I wanted a job he gave me. As far as they are concerned, following Jesus is all about good life. You cannot make this race. Why? Because temptation and trouble will come. In this race, there will be trials. Those people, they are not ready for trials. They gave their life, but they won't make it to the end. Did they understood this? And I said, Lord, forgive me. I wish everybody can be the good soul. So what I now do when I go out to preach, I say, Lord, I don't want to preach to somebody who has a stony heart. I don't want to preach on the... Lord, lead me to those whose hearts are good soil. I don't want to preach to people who will be condemned that they had the gospel and they didn't believe. I don't want that. So if it's only one person I got and his heart is a good soil, that when you preach you will receive Jesus with all his heart. Jesus used biblical imageries of agriculture. God is the author of agriculture. So, when Jesus said baptizing people, bring the word. Do you know that the word gave, do you know that the church, what you call democracy, was developed from scripture and was given to the world? It was made popular by Western... One thing about all the Western countries, there were Christian nations. Do you know that before? Democracy is embedded in the scripture. In, in Israel, you have a king. You have the priests. And you have the prophets. That's how God was ruling. And these three arms are equal. That's why when you came to democracy, you have the executive, the legislature, and the judiciary. They are supposed to be equal. And do you know that this is the imagery of the Trinity? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Three persons in one God. So, in a nation, how do you govern a nation? You don't only govern a nation spiritually. That's the priests. Who makes sure that a relationship between the nation of Israel and God is maintained?
You have the executive, the king, who rules with executive authority. But executive authority is not enough. So you have the executive authority that will advance politics and governance, advance economic prosperity, but it's not enough. The kings, they are ungodly, they are wicked, they do evil, they oppress people. That's what God told them. Say, you people want a king, you no longer want me. The king will take your children and turn them to his servants. He will take your farms. When I'm your king, I'm your king without a charge. Free of charge. You now want a king? No problem, I'll give you a king, get a king. That's why we have the prophets. The prophets is the judiciary. The executive is the kings. And the legislature is the press. Because the legislation makes law that governs good life. Just like the law of God is righteous. So when the kings, the executive do evil, have you noticed in Israel, the prophets don't appear until something is going wrong. That's only when the prophet appears with a message from God. The prophet tells them, you've missed it with God. This is what God is saying. A prophet confronts them with their sin, encourages them to repent, and tells them about the consequence of not repenting. That's the judiciary. When you misbehave, there is rule of law. If you, if you abuse the law, there is a consequence. But what happens in the world? The executive oppresses the judiciary, oppresses the legislation. Anytime there's local government, I told them in this country, we should stop doing local government elections. It's a waste of money. Governors should just appoint them. Because any state that does local government, if it's PDP, only PDP will win. Only them will be in the House of Assembly. Only them will be local government chairman. That of Kano just finished. 44 local government, all of them APC. They want to control the legislature. They will appoint the chief judge and the, and, the, and the magistrates and frustrate them. So when they come to court, you can't do anything. That's why the world is full of evil. And that's why Jesus came to restore good governance. Jesus said, go and baptize all nations. Put the principles of righteousness and godliness in the way nations are governed in the executive. And that is why in Christian nations, when people take out of office, they use the Bible. But today it's become a formality. A governor will take out of office with a Bible, Enugu State Governor. The chief judge of Enugu State will take an oath with the Bible. The speaker of the house will take an oath with the Bible. In the end, they drop it. But God said, go baptizing the nation. Bring their governance, their social life, their cultural life, their poli- bring it under the immersion of the kingdom of God, the rule of righteousness and godliness. That's what it means to baptize all nations. So far, all Christian nations are living with that, even though we don't know it. Everything you have today, labor union, was the product of the church. I have a book, I've forgotten the name. The person who founded labor, you know, was a Methodist person in the United Kingdom. The Bible said the laborer is worthy of his wage. And that if you are a labor employer, and after paying, and after your, your employee works for you, doesn't pay, if he cries to God, you are in trouble. 
Exploitative labor is ungodly. God wants people to work, not as slaves. But they should work because work is part of the kingdom of God. And be joyful in their work and any living. The man that started labor union was advancing the kingdom of God, baptizing the nation. If you're a labor employer, you don't abuse your employees. There are rules guiding how you treat people you employ. You treat them with dignity. And that's why they say there's dignity in labor. It's a principle of the Bible. But today, labor unions have become political parties. They connive with government. Look at Nigeria today. Minimum wage is 18,000 naira. When inflation is double digits, 18 to 17 percent. And then somebody earns 18,000 naira, he goes to the same market which you, pays public transport, pays house rent, pays children's school fees. It's slavish work. And this 18,000 naira has been there for almost 10 years now, right from a, I don't know who is Obasanjo Yaradua. No, it was Jonathan that made it 18 actually. Yaradua left, Obasanjo left it at 13,005. And then, when Jonathan came in, dollar was 120. Before Jonathan left, dollar was 170. Now, dollar is 360. Somebody is still earning 18,000 as minimum wage. School fees have increased, rents have increased, NEPA bills have increased, transportation have increased. This is not the kingdom of God at all. This is the kingdom of the world. Where the powerless are oppressed, the rich gets richer, the poor gets poorer. And Jesus said, go, baptizing all the nations. Bring the nations under the influence of the kingdom of God. Let them know that, that's why the Bible says, righteousness exalts a nation. What does sin do? And I say, what is righteousness? Doing the right thing. When people are well paid, they work better. They work well. They work with joy. Somebody who is unhappy can never give his best in a working place. When people are well paid, they work, productivity increases. The economy grows. As the economy grows, it creates jobs. More people get jobs. As more people get jobs, there will be more household income. As there's more household income, people will have a higher standard of living. And as more people earn income, governments get more tax. It's an all-round, you know, impact. So discipleship is not about teaching people to go to heaven. It's about taking over the world and making it God's kingdom. Is a training to change the world. A training to engage the society. Jesus trained his disciples. That's why we are told in Acts that they turned the world upside down. They turned the world upside down. How many disciples? Very few of them. Very few of them. Turned the whole world do you know that the, this chapel of his resurrection alone, if we get every person in this place to be a thorough disciple, we'll take over a new state for Jesus. In this place, we have people everywhere. We have people in government offices. We have people in companies. 
We have people in this ESU teaching hospital, in UNTH, in IMT, in ESU, in UNEC. We have people everywhere. We have people in Obete market, Abayemene market. Yeah? We have students on campuses. Disciples are the foot soldiers of God's kingdom. That's why we have a hymn. In this kingdom, there is warfare. I say disciples are trained to be soldiers. That's why we have a hymn. I want to challenge you after this teaching. When you read the Bible, read it with the lens of ordinary life on earth. Stop treating the Bible like a spiritual book. The Bible is much more than a spiritual book. Is God's... You know, when you buy a, a car, an electronic, it comes with manual. If you study the manual very well, that equipment will last. Some of us, we don't care to study. We just use it anyhow. And the thing dies before time. The Bible is God's manual for life on earth. The kingdom of the world, they have their soldiers, their police, their navy, their air force, their immigration, their civil defense. The disciples are the soldiers of the kingdom. That is why we have a hymn that says, Stand up, stand up for, stand up for Jesus. He soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner. It must not fall from victory unto victory. His army shall he lead. Every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord in Christianity is warfare. Not only spiritual warfare of fasting and praying. But spiritual warfare of righteousness versus unrighteousness. Godliness versus ungodliness. Wherever you are, you are a soldier of the cross. You walk in an office where things are not going right. You are God's soldier. Every other person walking there is a soldier of the kingdom of the world. The Bible says, this, this banner of the Lord must never suffer loss. Until the enemy is vanquished. No rest. The Bible says there is a rest for gospel. Until Nigeria becomes a testimony of a nation baptized by the kingdom of God, there is nothing to celebrate. One of my pains is that the Nigerian church is just like Nigeria. Nigeria is the most blessed country in this world. And yet we are the most cursed country in this world. Bad leadership. A country that produces crude. That had refineries 40 years ago. Today nothing is working. Other countries are moving forward. We are moving backwards. 
When we are growing up, there was Volkswagen plant in Badagri, in Lagos. There was Anamco here in Enugu. There is Taya plant in Bauchi. There is Pijo plant in Kaduna. There is Toyota. Today, nothing is working. All of them closed down. In Nigeria, then we were driving brand new cars. Today, with all your money, you can only buy Tokumbo. And they still tell you to come and wash it. A used car. In a generation that we have more money. When we had less money, we were driving new cars. Now we have more money. We are driving used cars. Nigeria is a dumping ground for used things overseas. We are a nation to be pitied. What happened to our economic policies? When we were growing up, there were no private schools. Only public schools. You write jam once. You know, in those days, we come from poor family. We killed. My senior brother was giving me only one year. My immediate brother was giving me. You don't fail. Because your textbook, your younger one, will use it. If you fail, you step out of the way. You are on your own. You dare not fail. No lessons after school. We passed everything. Today, you do lesson in school where you pay teacher to teach. The same teachers will organize lessons for the students. The students will still not credit or work. You will not pass jam. You go for special lesson after. Something is wrong. Something is wrong somewhere. And yet we have Christians who are principals. Christians who are commissioners of education. Christians who are proprietors of school. We don't have disciples yet in Nigeria. The state of the church shows we don't have disciples. We don't. When I was growing up in Ngo in our childhood, tap runs. You don't see tap again. Everywhere, tanker. Tanker with rusted inside. You don't even know the color of the water they're giving you. Everybody's opening borehole everywhere. Nobody wants the nation to move forward. It's only my personal business. And we are killing the nation. Common, when we are growing up, electricity was 24 hours. Since I came here, the places where people lodge me, 90% of the time is running on diesel. No light. In the 21st century. Does Nigeria look like a country that is baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? The church is part of Nigeria's problem. The church has the highest number of human beings in this country. I gave us the statistics yesterday. The church has the highest number of educated people in Nigeria. The church has the highest number of middle class in Nigeria. The church has the highest number of professionals. The church has the highest number of doctors, architects, engineers, contacts, or anything you can imagine. The church is ahead of Islam in Nigeria in potentials. But Islam is ruling us in this country. We have men who claim they are anointed. They only know how to to pronounce the blessings of God on church members. The Lord shall make you a millionaire. Amen. The Lord shall give you double. Amen. You pronounce blessings on people and yet they are blessed but they are slaves in their working places. Somebody who worships in a church where there's an anointed man of God, he will go to office and compromise his faith before a Muslim to get a job 
or to be promoted. What kind of anointing is that? People are personally blessed, but they are slaves in their country. What kind of blessing is that? A nation, you cannot get anything on merit except you know someone. You can't get anything on merit. You must be connected to somebody to get something. And yet every day we are pronouncing blessings from the altar. Every day we are having seminars on breakthrough. Breakthrough seminar. And we have never broken through. Breakthrough every year. Breakthrough every year. The Nigerian church can compete with Nigerian government in money. I have friends who are bankers. They told me if we know the bank account of churches, if some churches withdraw their money, their bank will go, they won't have money to lend. And yet we have so many poor people in the church. There is still hunger, nakedness in the church. There are young children who can't go to university. They go to church, nobody to pay school fees. There are widows thrown out by landlords. Because they have nobody to come to their aid for rent. And yet the church is so rich. What kind of a church do we have? A church that is competing with the world on television. Just to preach messages that have no meaning. Competing. I went to Portacot, I saw something. I went to Abuja, I saw something. I said, God, have mercy on us. I went to Portacot last month. And when they were taking me from Portacot to Were, you know, it's the airport road. Those of you who know airports. So you pass through. Sorry, I'm mentioning them not out of quarrel or anger. I'm, I'm trying to make an illustration. They showed me a place where salvation ministry, Pastor Biome, is building. I'm not a Jaretin. If you know that it's bigger than Namdia. If you see what they have sunk in that place, I'm not. A, I'm an accountant by training and I'm an economist. I can look at this and give you an estimate that will be at least 75 to 80% correct. What they have sunk in that place is more than 5 billion now and they have not finished. 5 billion naira. We live in a nation where there's no electricity. The church don't know they can give electricity to, to, to Nigeria. You can build a private power plant with 5 billion. Employ people. Create jobs. Increasing household income. Increase productivity. They are, they are competing with... They said he's going to seat 150,000 people. Oyedepo's own is 50,000, so he wants to beat Oyedepo. Then I went to Abuja. Those of you who are going to Abuja from airport to the city, if you are going from Abuja on the left, if you are coming from city gates, there's another one that the young man is building. Dunamis. Pastor Enensha. Oh my goodness. If you see it, it's going to sit 100,000. It's bigger than National Stadium. The National Stadium in Abuja is maximum of 50,000 capacity. Then a pastor is building an auditorium. One man that will house 100,000 people. When in that church, there are graduates who graduated and looking for jobs. The billions going into that thing can build a company. 
a company that will be a kingdom business that will show the world how to do business. Look for a need in the life of this nation and address it. If you don't know what to do, build a university with it. When are you going to get 100,000 people to sit under one auditorium? When, on daily basis, less people are going to church. You see, they don't think, they don't plan. They are not even observant of the society they live in. People are tired of the church. Because the church is no longer relevant to them. You tell someone to get born again, he gets born again. You tell him to come to church to give offering, he gives offering. He is not working, you are asking him to pay tithe. He's been in church for one year, two years. The church is not doing anything about employment for him. He's working and he's working as a slave. He's not enjoying it. The church is not thinking how to get him a, 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 a satisfying job. Jesus will not run a church like that. When Jesus preached and 5,000 followed him, in the evening he told Peter, these were following him since morning, they are hungry, go and give him. Jesus is very conscious of those who follow him, the needs in their lives. Peter said, oh guy, you don't come again. Where, I mean, we need one year salary to buy this. We say, I know, give them food. We have church leaders. I, I think something is wrong with our theology. From January to December, people are coming to church, you're only teaching them prosperity. How long will it take them to hear prosperity before they prosper? How long? Somebody has been hearing prosperity and he has never prospered. Something is wrong with that gospel. You can never prosper by sitting down and listening to prosperity message. You prosper by the works of your hand. God prospers what you do. Apostle Paul wrote to the Testament and says, He that does not work should not eat. You remember Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor walk in the ways of sinners, nor sit in the seats of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates upon it day and night. He is like a tree planted by the side of the waters that bringeth forth its fruit in its season. Its leaves shall not wither. Whatsoever thing he doeth shall prosper. You don't prosper by hearing prosperity message. You prosper by doing something. Whether it is pure water you're selling, because you delight in the Lord, you will sell pure water and build a house. You will sell pure water and send your children to university. Because it's not about the job. It's about the blessings of God. And he didn't end there. He compared that man with the wicked. He said, but the wicked is not like that. The wicked is like a chaff that is blown away by the wind. The wicked cannot stay in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked is what? Cut off from God. What kind of church are we producing 
This chapel can give job to Christians. It's part of the assignment I'm giving you. One of the things I want to share with my brother Prof when I finish is that the world, the church taught the world to plan. Today we run churches without planning. Where do you want this church to be in the next five years? What are the things you want this church to achieve in the next five years? You need to develop a strategic plan for this church. Look at Enugu. Lord, show us one thing we want to deal with when we finish. Say, That's the kingdom of God in Enugu. Through chapel of his resurrection. Do you know the evangelization of Africa was planned before they sent missionaries? They planned it. They had a budget. All over Africa, East Africa, West Africa, Christianity took over the whole nation and pushed out the demon of idolatry. Every place where they worship idol before, no more single idol, no more shrines. Christianity came with education, with agriculture, with health, with business, with governance. Everything you are enjoying today is the kingdom of God already. Nigeria has enjoyed it. But we are not sustaining it. So, discipleship is not just learn how to do quiet time. <laughs> learn how to pray. We minister to you, baptism, and you start speaking in tongues. After speaking in tongues, the demon in your neighborhood is still there. You can't cast that demon out. The demon of environmental degradation. All of Nigerian cities is a shame. Is a shame. Our cities are dirty, unkept. People live in houses where they bath, they channel the water to the streets. Local government is doing nothing. Even when they have environmental people, all they do is to know whom to arrest and collect money. All the waste will be there and decay, putrefying smell before they reveal. What is wrong in making sure every house is mapped out? And they have waste collectors like in civilized countries. Brethren, it worked. We did something in Unimed. I work with knifes and Futa Akure. There's something we call life outreach on campus. So we told them after preaching, we want to do a social work on campus. In Unimed, a Muslim state, we told our students, they bought these big baskets openly. We wrote knifes there. We spent money, distributed it around the university. And then we said for two months, we will pay people to come and pick. Students are busy, they need to go to lectures. So when they did that, the vice chancellor heard about it. Say, what? What kind of students are these? They are not only interested in studying, they are interested in the environmental health and beauty of their university. He said he needed to see the knifest leadership. That's how we planned and met him. Since that time, anytime we go for conference, that vice chancellor gives boss that carries our students from Medjugorje to Abuja for conference. I don't know if there's any knifest student here who have been in Abuja in the past five years. He was always see Unimade boss in Kuali. In Foot Yola, I did the same. I pleasure miss in a lecture theater. And that lecture theater, even pigs will not want to live there. Cobwebs everywhere. The fan has fallen. One of the days we are having fellowship, the fan fell. 
it was God's man, he would have cut off somebody's head. So now as a do people like it, dirty and always say no. I said, okay, a fellowship of over 500 students. And I told them, I will raise money for you people, but you need to produce your money. This is your university. We raised money, painted the auditorium, repaired the sockets, fixed the fan. Again, the vice chancellor was a Muslim. And he had of it. He gave Nathan's appointment. And we have to tell our, our national director then, Uncle Balai, to come. We went to pay with all the Christian to pay him costly visit, and we gave a Muslim a Bible. He collected it. We say, sir, what we did that made you to invite us is here. God is interested in clean environment. He collected the Bible and kept it. He actually said he went to school in a missionary school in the north. The church is to shine as light in the society, not inside church. We are light to the world, not light to the church. Where there is light, you don't need light again. Look at this afternoon. We don't need light. In the evening, we put on the lights. Discipleship is training people to engage society. When you see something that is not right, do something about it. We just wake up, enter to come home, eat food, come to church for prayer meeting and Bible study. Nothing vexes your spirit. Nothing breaks your heart about where you live. Nothing makes you to feel bad. Apostle Paul was in Athens waiting for Timothy. And he saw that that city was full of idols. He couldn't bear it. He got up. He went to engage them. That's what we call Christian apologetics. Apostle Paul was so enlightened and educated. By telling, I see you people are so religious. So today, since you have a, a shrine for a God you don't know. That God you don't know, I want to tell you about him. The things you see, does it affect your heart? May God give us eyes that will see needs and hearts that will respond to needs. In the name of Jesus. There is something you can do in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your village, in your town. There is something you can do. And let me tell you one is already happening. Something is happening in Ungo now. We have general uh, council where they elect leaders. So they elected for the first time a Christian became the president general in Ungo community. And the Christian also became a speaker. The president they elected was a former IFS student. I had influence on all around our house is closed. So one day he visited me and told him, I said, what will be the difference that a Christian is president general? Tell me. We started chatting. When we finished, I said, okay, I want to give you an assignment. I said, nothing touches the heart of people like development. Changing people's situation to become better. I said, can you give Ngo water? Any Ngo water? Any of you from Ngo here? Any of you? Okay. You know they are, they are, they are giving water in Ungo now. Are you aware of that? Yes. The, the President General, you know, the, we have tapped water somewhere. They are piping it to all the village of Ngo. Ngo people giving water to them. I said, when we are going, there was tap. Now everybody must buy tank and buy water. When I was telling him, I said, don't be afraid. Go and do it. I said, if you want my help, call on me. I studied development 
and I'm passionate about it. Like joke, in less than one year, the thing is coming to pass. Before in Ngo, we are killing ourselves for land. Now they have collected all the community land. They are sharing it equitably. Some people corner it and take other people. They have taken my own father's land before, two plus, and sold it. There's nothing I could do. I just look at them and said, I called one of them and said, You think I'm weak? I'm not weak. There's nothing to fight for. But God has started judging some of them. One of them that bought the land is dead now. The land you bought, you can't enjoy it. You know, the kingdom of God is about righteousness and justice for the people. What can you do? Discipleship is not just, we do not disciple Christians for the church. We disciple Christians for the society. We disciple them for where they were. They are going to go and walk. Jesus, after finishing, said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. He trained them to serve in the society. How do we train students to be Christian students on campus? We do that a lot in Nifus. How do you train doctors and nurses, pharmacists, radiologists, and all those things to work in a hospital? A lot of people die in hospitals that should not have died because people neglect professional practice. People take human life for granted in this country. I'm a victim of that. I don't have time to tell that story. Why do so many women die at childbirth in this country? Do you know how many women that die at childbirth in this country? Simply because of carelessness. The infant mortality, there are more Christian doctors and nurses in hospitals. Why is our hospitals not better? Do we disciple medical people? How to function in hospital? Do you know that God is the author of saving life? Medical science is an offshoot of the kingdom of God. Why is the standard of education so low and so poor now? Everybody is going for private school. Because in public school, the teachers won't even show up. When they show up, they come with what they are selling. They are teaching them. They keep the things they are selling on the table. When they finish, they start selling. Unethical things we do. There's something called Christian ethics. Christian ethics. Our God is an ethical God. Our God is a God of good morals. When we say we serve a God that is holy and a God that is righteous, you need to understand it. These two things go hand in hand. Holiness is God's nature. That's who he is. He is pure. Our God is a transparent God. Our God is a merciful God. He's a kind God. He's a generous God. Our God is a God that hates evil. So on and so forth. But righteousness is actions, the things you do. He's not, his being is holy and his acts are righteous. And you cannot be holy and not act right. So when we say we are righteous people, how many right things do we do? 
Even churches today build schools. Christian schools are so poor. They just build it to make money. Most churches that own school, primary school, it's just to make money. There's no difference between their school and other schools. Overcrowded students in the class. They don't pay the teachers well. No space for children. If you go, children can hardly squeeze into their table. No space. Do you know that before you build school, there are standards you need to meet? How many Christian schools still have football fields and space for sports? Nothing. You just go and build school. They want to make money. You don't just build schools. There are basic standards. And you just go there and cram children in school. When they come out to play, everywhere is red, red, red soil. When they play, they dirty their clothes. Common clean bedrooms and toilets some Christian schools don't have. And the child goes to a Christian school, there's no difference between him and the one that went to public school. A Christian student goes to Christian school and he doesn't know that God is the author and fountain of all wisdom and knowledge. If you're teaching a student maths, you need to teach him how God is the author of mathematics. If you are teaching a student English, you need to see how God is the author who gave languages to all the nations. How will somebody go to a school called a Christian school and somebody who is, they are dissenting, no difference in character, no difference in comportment, no difference, their uniforms are dirty and tattered. When you see children, you see the glory of God in their cleanliness. Their uniform is smart. They talk smart. They are not just intelligent in the head. They are intelligent in the heart. What we have is not Christian schools. Do you know that with Christian schools, we can disciple every single human being that comes to that school? We teach moral education. God is the author of moral education. We teach civic education. God is the author of civic education. Why must you be a good citizen? Because when you become a good citizen, you are pleasing God. When you become a good citizen, you are contributing to the goodness and so you will benefit from being a good citizen because if every other person is a good citizen, we have a better society. We will all be happy. If you are not a good citizen, you will destroy the society. You will suffer. It will not be good. Those of us who teach and we don't teach well, you produce students who will become local government chairman tomorrow and mess up your life. You know, in Nigerian politics, it's mainly for People who are not very smart academically. People who are ready to buy offices. People who are ready to care. How did they go to that point? But they went to primary and secondary school. How did they become agoros and become our governors who will sell us cheap to the Muslims in order to become governors? Sell us cheap in order to become senators. Sell us cheap in order to become members of House of Red. How did we get there? Were they not going to church? Did they not go to Christian schools? Every town in Ebola have one central school. True or false? All the central schools were built by the churches. All central schools. But to summarize what discipleship is, I've been able to let us know. Discipleship is training Christians to engage the world. It's not just training them to do quiet time. Discipleship is training people to die to their personal ego and ambition. It is good to have ambition in life. Very good. But, when there is a clash between your ambition and God's purpose for your life, if you have been trained to die, 
you will not struggle to put aside your ambition. When I went to school to read accounting, I wanted to be a millionaire, a big man. When God arrested me to be a missionary with students, I fought God like, like Jacob fought God. I fought God. Say, God, you are not being fair to me because I came from a very poor family. My late father was a catechist. No money. They took loan to pay my first school year. Esut year, Mommy Ruby, you know now. How much was school fees then? 420 naira. My father did not have it. My senior brother finished. He couldn't go to university. No money. My senior brother wanted to read, you know, aviation. He was, he was so good in physics. Science. No money. He had to go and start working with Waek. And I'm finished. I spent many years before. My brother says, Sam, over his dead body, I must go to school. My father too. My father brought me. So later, my brother told me, now I finished the poverty in my family. I said, I'm going to cast out the demon of poverty in my family. And God said, you should be a missionary. Say, God, you are not fair. You are not fair to me. You are not fair to my father. You are not fair to my family. Say, God, it's not, you are not fair. It was a unique. Dr. Fine, were you there when we did missions conference 1991? Remember? At the cafeteria. You remember? Thy kingdom come. That conference. I was zonal president and I hosting it. On the last day, I was wearing my smart up and down. I didn't know God had set trap for me. I was at the back of the hall when the altar, the, the, the then ICA General Secretary, Lindsey Brown, he said he came to Nigeria to raise missionaries. And he was going to raise missionaries. Many of us that day, I was standing by the wall at the back. I was just standing and my whole body was gone, sweat all over. This way I'm standing, on the ground. They carried me, four bread and carried me from there to the altar and dropped me. There were about 16 of us. One of them, they, uh, who is presently a senator in Poland, but he's come back to Nigeria. He's done wonderful things for God in Poland. The first African, black African to be a senator. God sent him to Poland for missions. Poland is a communist country. And he has bulldozed that country for God. He married a Polish woman. He grew so much, became a senator. He has, he led the Polish president to come and pay course visit to President Jonathan to start the Polish Nigerian Economic Forum. I said, God, you are not fair. This is not what I bargained. When I went, to, I went to get the education to make money. And God, you are not fair to me. But everything I ought to have done for my family, I have done it an additional as a missionary. God didn't fail my father and my mother. I took care of them before they died. And I trained all my younger ones till today. My senior brother who is doing business, before he does anything, he consults me. I am like the first son in my family today. Nothing happens in my family without my consent. I am financially stronger than my brother who is doing business, yet I own missionary salary. I don't live by my salary. God provides for me. If I have a need, God raises people to meet my need. So when you have an ambition and it clashes with God, have you been trained? One of the things I say, God, apart from my salvation, I thank God for Christians who raised me in this suit here. We had brethren, both students and associates. I grew up in the company of Christians. Their life, their teaching, something else. And to the glory of God, your vicar, Professor Samik, is one of them. When I was a student, he was a zona president. He was a medical student, traveling all over. What we have then as a Sukkot zone is three areas today. 
What we used to have in Sukkot zone then is now uh, uh, Lokoja zone, Makodi zone, part of Uyo zone, Oka zone, Enugu zone, Apakliki zone, and uh, Kuchoda zone. And uh, he was a medical student. I think so you also combined it with group president. Am I correct? Or you handed over your group presidency. You combine group president with zonal president. And today is a prof. So when they come to visa, we'll be watching them. How can, how can a student be this committed to God? I have no reason to be different. And then we have uncles, senior friends. Oh my goodness. Professor Mwajago, Professor Chinedunebo, beloved CC, Professor Sisioma. I mean, when these people, seeing them on campus as Christians and their comportment, you cannot but surrender to God. May God make each one of us be that environment where other young Christians will grow and become disciples. May your light so shine that other young Christians seeing you will be challenged. They know there is something about this Christian faith. It's not all about going to heaven. Going to heaven is already sorted out. It's not negotiable. The Bible says there is now therefore no condemnation for them that are in Christ. As far as you are in Christ Jesus, going to heaven is settled. And once you are in Christ Jesus, you cannot make sin a lifetime. I'm not talking of people who say you can be born again and live anyhow. That's not what I'm saying. You can't be in Christ Jesus and live anyhow. It's not possible. The Bible says the grace of God teaches us to say no to all ungodliness. So those who are teaching fake grace, may God have mercy on them. We are still praying for them. The reason why we live a godly life is not for our salvation. Our salvation is so that me and you become witnesses to the world that when a man is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. When people see us, they want to be Christians. The Bible says, let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are saved to do good works. If you are saved and you remain in Christ, it's not a probability. You are going to heaven when you die. And being in Christ does not mean we don't have struggles. We fall, we get up. We fall, we get up. The Christian life is a race. I've been a born-again Christian for 33 years. I don't know for you. I got born again. My father is an Anglican priest, but I got born again at the age of 21. I'm 54 now. I don't look at people as I say, God makes me young because I work with young people. In my 33 years, I've had my high moments and my low moments. I have time, I told Jesus, you didn't tell me this is part of this thing when you asked me to follow you. I've shed tears. This man talking to you excitedly. There are some days I told God, you are not fair to me. With this mouth, I've told God, you are not fair to me. I have left jobs and told my wife, I travel to worry, not for retreat, not for anything, to go and cry. I went to a friend's house for three days, locked up myself in the room, only crying to God. God, I'm not happy what is happening in my life. You are not fair to me. I had my low moments. I got up again and gathered my life again and continued with the journey of faith. So this race is a long distance. It's not 100 meters dash. 
As long as you're in this faith, there'll be time for tears. There'll be time for joy. There'll be time for failure. There'll be time for success. But as long as you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Stop guessing whether you're going to heaven or not. Except you turn your back from following Jesus. The day you turn your back, that's the end. But as long as you're in Christ Jesus, heaven is certain. Apostle Paul taught us that. Second Timothy chapter 4 from verse 7, 6 to 7. So I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. There is now remaining for me a crown. He's not talking of, uh, he's not thinking about going to heaven. He said, it's not only that I know I'm going to heaven. I know that God has a crown because I live the life he called me to live. And God in his word promised a reward that there will be crown. Paul said, I know I will have a crown. How can a man be so audacious and bold? Because the Bible says, they that know their God shall be strong and do as well. Christianity is not a powerless life. It's a life of power. May God make every one of us here to be a disciple in Jesus' name. I won't pray now. I will pause and take the questions and then we'll pray. I believe we have been blessed. Like I told us at the beginning, we will have time for interaction. It's now time for questions. We'll take the first two questions and we'll receive responses to them. Number one. Praise the Lord. Thank you very much, sir. Mm. You have been a blessing since yesterday. My question is this. Okay, my name is Uzumbwana. My question is this. We we are taught, especially in Christian circles, like in Scripture Union, in FAC, and other uh, Christian circles like that, even in NIFES, because when I was in university, I interact with uh, NIFES members too. Also in our village uh, born-again associations, we are also instructed not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Not to join uh, town union meetings. I know in my town in particular, is a standing rule. Once you join the town union meeting, yeah. you cease to be a member. You cease to be a member. Also, let me take it further, sir. Yeah. We're also told not to join politics. <laughs> I, I, I don't know any scripture union member that is vying for House of Assembly or even uh, House of Reps or Senate or even an FAC member where I've served for many years. So, I want to know, sir, if our if we are if we are advised not to join uh, town union meetings, uh, politics, yeah. how do we change the society? Mm-hmm. For the past one hour, you have been telling us how to change our society. Yeah. How do we think? Like the man you mentioned in the book, that is President General. I'm not by being a member of uh, my town born again association. I'm not qualified to vie for President General. And I know that I'm qualified. Mm-hmm. 
at least by the grace of God, I'm a graduate. And I feed myself. So I'm qualified. But the association I belong to, see it as a taboo for me to ever attend the meeting. Yeah. Not to stand for the election. Mm-hmm. And I know there's something I can contribute as a Christian. Yep. But where I belong is telling me that you are a sinner <laughs> if you ever join that as, uh, that union, yeah. that union. Yeah. Where do we go from here, sir? Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I was looking for, I know that Second Corinthians chapter 6. That's what we call expository preaching. Principles of interpretation. Context. The context of that passage is wrongly applied. That's why we have that mistake. You know, um, I want to plead with you to give me time um, to read that passage. You know, I think, um, okay, I would have loved to read the whole of chapter 6. But if you have a Bible that have subheadings. You know subheadings. Now, I don't know how many of us that have Bibles that have subheadings. Can I see your hands? Okay. Now, my own subheading from 14 to that uh, end says, avoid immoral partnerships. Who else has a subheading? What else does your subhead say? Uh-huh. What else does your subhead say? Equally yoked. Be not unequally yoked. Okay, who has another thing? Do not be yoked with unbelievers. Do not be yoked with unbelievers. What else again? The temple of the living God. The temple of the living God. That's what I was looking for. The temple of the living God. Now, you know, it depends on... This one say, do not... Uh, uh, it's about immoral partner. That one say temple of God. I like it. If you know the Corinthian church... The Corinthian church was a church that battled with immorality a lot. Do you remember that? In 1 Corinthians. You know why Paul wrote 2 Corinthians? When he wrote 1 Corinthians, it was a rebuke. Very hard and sharp words. He told them, some, he said, if anybody says he's a brother and he's a fornicator, don't eat with him. He said to them, don't you know your body is the temple of the living God? If you join your body with the prostitute, you defy the temple. If you defy the temple, God will destroy you. Paul also said, I hear that some of you are even doing things that are not mentioned among unbelievers. Some of you are sleeping with your father's wife. Something that is not mentioned among unbelievers. The Corinthian church was a church that was so gifted and yet so immoral. So when he said, do not be equally on yoke with unbelievers, what is this? I, um, anybody here with good news or living translation? Okay, thank you. Warning against pagan influences. Do not try to work together as equals with unbelievers. For it cannot be done. How can right and wrong be partners? How can light and darkness live together? How can Christ and the devil agree? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? How can God's temple come to terms with pagan idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God himself has said, I will make my home with my people and live among them. I will be their God and there will be my people. 17. For so the Lord says, 
you must leave them and separate yourselves from them. Have nothing to do with what is unclean and I will accept you. Now, to just go straight to the point, my brother, I think this is one of the areas the church made mistakes over time. From, I told us when I give the illustration, God is the author of politics. In Israel, they had kings. They say a Christian can be a politician. What is wrong with it? They say politics is a dirty game. And I say, eh, okay, it, it, uh, we can't look because politics are liars. Politics are cheats. Actually, the first course I wanted to study was law. <laughs> I had this, my SU auntie, who loved me so much. She contributed to my salvation. So I should not study the liars. Lawyers always tell lies. I decided to change to accounting. <laughs> now I know better. It's not only lawyers that tell lies. Everybody tells lies. Even priests with color. Tells lies and they cheat and they deceive. When you say politics is dirty, every vocation, every work is clean. It's unclean people that work with unclean minds. If you think that politics are corrupt, is it teachers that are not corrupt? Don't teachers collect bribes to pass students? Is it not teachers that insist it's either you pay money or your body in higher institutions? Don't we see corruption in church? Don't we see politics in church? Have you never heard of politics in church? Ah, when it is time to choose a bishop, you will see politics. When it is time can or PFN to choose a leader. So, the truth is, God is the author of politics. When you say unequally yoked, that means sharing the same value, the same commitment, the same priorities. If, if you think that that place say we can't work with unbelievers, do you have unbelievers as colleagues in the office? Where do you work? But you work with unbelievers and you still work with them. So if you say don't work with, then you are wrong already. You shouldn't be working with unbelievers. When you went to school, did an unbeliever lecturer teach you? Aha. If you say we should not do anything in common with unbelievers. So, if we cannot go to town union or go to anything because they are unbelievers, when they were paying your school fees, your father was he a believer or an unbeliever? Unbeliever. He was going to town meeting and paying your school fees. And you allow him to pay your school fees. I think those are the areas the church got it wrong completely. The truth is, every ethical career in life, we can serve God through all things. We need to join towns meeting. In Nguo, the scripture in Nguo is one of the strongest in the East. In those days, they became Umun and Umun, they don't join the others. Today they have learned their lessons. They have all gone back to Umun. I hope you know that. At least I can tell you that. They have gone to Umunna now. You know, I told you that one of us is the president general of the town now. He was also SU. In fact, he's the president of SU chapter and is now president general uh, of a, of a, of a Enugungo community. That's John, John Emu. Any of you that know him. Can I tell you something? How many, who has King James Bible here? King James Bible. Is that King James Bible? Do you know why this Bible is called King James? You know why it's called King James? It was King James when he was a king that made a law to translate the Bible from Greek to English. 
After he read the Bible, came in contact with Jesus, he said, everybody should hear this. He wants to make sure that every little boy in England in the farm can read it. The Bible was only read in the church, only by theologians who understand Hebrew and Greek. Up to today, when you go to churches, you must do Hebrew and Greek. It's a must. But today, do you know that this thing was done by a king who is a politician? This is the most powerful missionary in the whole world. The Bible in languages. The Bible can do what missionaries cannot do. So when a Christian is a king, what did the Bible say? If they say Christians can't go to Bible, the Bible says when the righteous are in power, what happens? The people rejoice. So if somebody says Christians can't go into politics, they are wrong. Christians must go into politics. We are actually running seminars for NIFES graduates who are in politics. I organize it. We, we've been doing it in the past four years. We'll still do one this year. So we train Christians to serve in government. We train Christians to be technocrats. So if anybody says a Christian cannot be uh, uh, this thing, then why do you work in government? Government is part of politics. Why are you a civil servant? Civil service is part of government. It's part of politics. So we got it wrong there. Now we are knowing better. We are knowing better that we got it wrong that time. When the Bible said, do not be unequally yoked. When you go into politics, and politicians go into politics for fame, for power, and for money, then you, a Christian, you go into politics to serve God and serve the people. You are not equally yoked with them. But you are in politics. They are in politics for a different thing. You are in politics for the kingdom of God. So to be unequally yoked is having the same values, the same principles, the same ambition. We should not have the same ambition with Christians in anything, or unbelievers in anything. So we got it wrong. So please go for your town union. My name is in my umunna. My umunna respect me a lot. And I attend umunna meetings. I pay my dues. One of the Christmas I went home at the end of every year, we usually organize a family Thanksgiving to Omunna. And they gave me a platform to talk to them with the Bible. I preached to my Omunna. They have high respect for me. My name is in there and I pay. Somebody dies, they call me, I send money. Somebody is getting married, I send money. My name is there regularly. So I'm part of my Omunna. I am part of age grade. My name is still in my age grade of phobia. In Enugungo here, my name is intact. They know what I do. And when I come home, I have opportunity. I meet with them. They are my friends. They come to my house. I go to their, but they know they are dealing with someone who is different from them. If we don't engage... Thank you for asking this question. Did you notice that Jesus never really preached in the temple? The only time he entered the temple, the week of passion, he chased people out of the temple with life. Chase them out. Jesus was always on the street preaching. He had no time for the temple. Did you notice that, that Jesus' disciples, not a single religious leader was there. Not a single person. Fishermen, Matthew accountant, Luke the physician. One of them was a zealot. I can't remember one of them who is a zealot now. Who? Who? 
Simon the zealot. Do you know what it means to be a zealot? A zealot is the equivalent of IPOB members. Is the equivalent of a Masob person. Is the equivalent of OPC. Is hmm? the equivalent of Niger Delta, you know, Asari Dokubo. That was the people Jesus called. Then how do you tell me that I should not walk with people like that and bring them to the kingdom? Jesus didn't bother for religious leaders. He called ordinary people. Jesus was so strategic. We need to know that strategic planning. Do you know where Jesus called his first disciples? By the Sea of Galilee. Why? The Sea of the Galilee was the center of the economy of Israel. That was a seaport that brought all kinds of things. And the major thing people treated them with fish and flour, fish and bread. To be a fisherman in those days is to be a dangote of Nigeria. So Jesus called rich men, not poor people. Peter was rich to have a boat of his own and was fishing. And the sons of Zebedee, their father, was rich. He just called them, leave them. Jesus called people who are in business. Somebody who is already fishing, he said, as I'm calling you, you, have, you already acquire skill for fishing fish. Now, you will start fishing men. I'm going to use your business skills. When he called Matthew an accountant, you no longer be accounting for money. You be accounting for souls of men. He documented the gospel. When he called Simon the Zealot, who is ready for freedom, Political freedom of Israel. It is no longer, you are no longer IPOB member. I am calling you now for the kingdom of radicals. Who was Apostle Paul? Apostle Paul was a Boko Haram. Equivalent of Abu Bakr Shekhar. He was slaughtering Christians. You will no longer be killing Christians. You, you will be killed for telling people about me. How do you tell us you can't go into politics? Strong. So we've, we've known better. And it's because we avoided those places, that's why Christians are not having influence in society. Next question. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, thank you so much for accepting the call of God upon your life. The comment I want to make is on the issue that you say that God is not fair with you. Yeah. He was calling you for a purpose. Yeah. Because the Bible said in Romans chapter 8 verse 28, that all things work together for good mm-hmm. for those that love God. Mm-hmm. You love God and wanted to polish you more and more for you to win more souls for Him. Mm-hmm. So please, on a serious note, we thank God for your obedience to God. But you should not emulate by, by uttering that word that God yes. is unfair to Because yes. God is the Alpha and the Omega. Yes. You know what He's doing before He started doing yes. it. Thank you so much for answering that call. Then Thank my... you, Mommy. I'm so happy for this. I was at my level then. <laughs> and uh, today now I can't tell God again you are unfair. It was my level then. And you are right by telling me I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> then uh, for those of all that are still the younger ones, yes. we should, the Bible said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, that we should not murmur. Yes. So that we should not be destroyed with the murmur, uh, destroyers. Yes. That's why when Job's wife mm-hmm. told him to cause God and that the man said no, he hold tight his integrity. Mm-hmm. So please, no matter the situation, you and I find ourselves. Because he told us it's, 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 it's a long race and that it's full of tears and joys. 
If you are having tears, hold your mouth tight. Even I myself. I don't talk anywhere whenever I'm having problems. Now my question to you, sir, is that you told us that when we listen to prosperity messages, we should try to do something. Yeah. But some preachers uh, encourage us to donate for the work of God. To now, what? To donate yeah. for the work of God. Mm. There's not too much praying and praying and fasting that to give our prosperity. That's when we contribute to the work of God. Then they cited uh, Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. Mm-hmm. That Paul told the, uh, the, 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 the people that God will supply all their needs according mm-hmm. to your riches in Christ Jesus. Because mm-hmm. they donated to yeah. help him in his missionary work. Yeah. My question is, how can we get prosperity as Christians? Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that question. You know, there's something we call semantics. When a word is used, you try to find what was the meaning that was intended by somebody who used the word. You don't get prospered because you listen to prosperity. May I understand by it? Those people who gave, they already had something to give. How did they prosper? They were doing something. So, when you are telling somebody it is when you give to God, was no, 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 no. You see, the truth is, God in His wisdom lacks nothing, but God wants us to give to the work of His kingdom. So, we do not give in order to receive, we receive in order to give. So, those who gave that money to Peter, uh, well, that's uh, Philippians 4.11, my God shall supply all your needs. They were the Philippians, they were caring for Paul, because Paul was in prison then. I hope you know Paul was not a lazy person. Paul said, I walked with this my hands. This my hand provided for me. But when he became a prisoner, that's not how he can walk again to earn any living. So he depended on the church, and it was only the Philippian church. In fact, he made it clear that it was only you, the Philippian church, that sent me. Out of gratitude of his heart, he was praying that God supply. How does God supply our needs? Do we just sit fold hands and God supply our needs? How does God supply our needs? As you go to your work, God blesses that work you're doing. And he supplies your need. So it's still the same thing I'm saying. Just sitting down hearing, you know, I think some people, there's something we thought. Somebody described Nigerian Christians as a tadpole. You know a tadpole? Very big head. Very little body. I tried to understand what he meant. Our head is filled with all manner of teaching, jargon. But our life is so irrelevant, so no impact. You come to church, you see a single servant whose salary is 50000 a month. And the man of God will tell you, this time next week you shall be a millionaire. Amen! How do you become a millionaire at any 50000 You have to be a thief. You need to steal. In one week. I know that God does not throw money from heaven. God will make you a millionaire. He gives you a job, a business. If you are a director earning 300000 a month, I can understand you can be a millionaire in one year. Because you can get an appointment to be a DG. Eh? You can get a, 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 a special project. Maybe government will give a special project to your unit and there is an allowance made for you to become a millionaire. You can. Well, how do you tell a young graduate who earns 50000 
He said, the Lord will give you a jeep this time next month. Amen. The tire of jeep one is 50,000. Four tires is 200,000. That's your formal salary. A preacher says you will have a jeep on a 50,000 naira salary. You will start stealing money in office. That's the only way you can be a millionaire. There are some jeep, one pedal, one liter. Once you pedal it, zoom, one liter is gone. Your salary cannot even buy fuel one month. I want to drive jeep. Jeep is not for average people. It's for people who are upper class. People that they don't need to bother about food. They, they don't need to bother about a house. They already have a house. They have met all the basic needs of life. They have finished training children or they do a job where they earn millions a month. I hope you know there are people who earn millions as a month salary. Those who work in all your companies. So, when you're a civil servant, somebody is telling you you'll be a millionaire, you shout, Amen! I claim it! Brother Clement and Sister Clementinas, anything they hear, they claim it. Tadpole. Big head, nobody. Our God, I told you that our God is not a lazy God. And a father must give birth to something that resembles him. God made us in his image. There is no laziness in Christianity. And God blesses hard work. Anything you do, do it well, you will prosper. You will prosper. So prosperity is not about a message. It's about what you do. And as you do it consensuously, please let us stop this uh, give and it shall be given. There's what we call context. It was not about money. That context is not about money. I know that God gives to us, and he does. It's the truth. I told you people, I don't live on my salary. God meets my need. I answer that my salary can sustain me. But I am working for God. I am working for the world and, and for the church. As long as you are diligent and hard working in what you are doing, God meets your needs. When my father died, you woman had a meeting to me, called a meeting. My father just died, they just finished burying him. Say, brother, when are you going to go and look for a job? I said, but I already have a job. You know, in those days, they call us traveling secretary. They say, what do you say? They say, you are a secretary that travels. I was traveling secretary of knives. They said all kinds of things. I said to them, I, at a point, I wanted to be vulgar to them, but I, I controlled myself. The people are asking me to work. My father was sick for many years. They never gave money. I paid all the hospital bills. My father died. I buried him. So what is it? How can you say I'm not working? Eh, that they don't like to work and I'm not making enough money. You're an accountant and all those things. Last year when I finished my PhD and graduated, I went to see my uncle. He said, now you have your PhD. When are you going to get a job? The person asking me when I'm getting a job, I send him pocket money, by the way. <laughs> He's a retired civil servant. <laughs> and is he asking me when I go and get a job? All my children are in school. I pay school fees. I'm training all my younger ones. All without exception, I train all my younger ones. All. And is he asking me when will you go and get a job? Because they can't quantify my work in Naira <laughs> So, the way the world reasons, 
I am more prosperous than all of them. At this level in life, I don't lose sleep over anything. Honestly speaking. If I have a need of one million, I know it will be met. How God will meet is none of my business. I sleep well. I don't fast and pray for food again. I don't fast and pray for school fees. I don't fast and pray for basic things of life. I paid my PhD school fees in dollars, thousands of dollars. I got loan, I got gifts, and I paid some of them. Up to last year, I was paying an exchange of 480 naira to dollar. I still paid my school fees and graduated. When I told them, they wouldn't believe it. I said, sure, you say I should look for a job. I have a job. So please, anything that you do, and it is God's purpose and plan for you, will prosper in it. Prosperity is not defined by the size of your bank account. Prosperity is that I have need of one naira. God provides one naira. I'm a prosperous man. I have need of one million. God gives me one million. Prosperity is not the size of my bank account. I am a witness. <laughs> so please, what's your opinion concerning first fruit? Please, can you throw more light on this? Okay. You know my problem with our Christianity in Nigeria? We are doing cut and paste. You cut something from Old Testament, you paste it in New Testament. And after you say you are, you are a New Testament Christian. First food was part of the way the Jews honored God in their life in the olden days. And it's all about giving to God. And first fruit in the olden days were animals and food stuff. It was not money. Yes, there was first fruit. And what did they do? You know, say any first meal that opens the womb is dedicated to God. Whether it is a human being or goat or cow or donkey or a horse. Also, first fruit, when you do first harvest, we do all those things. And in Anglican, we also do first, uh, we do uh, uh, first harvest. Am I correct? Yeah, we do that. Now, but some people are teaching first fruit. When you get a job, the whole of your one month salary, you should give it. You know why they're asking you that? Because they want money. It's not because we should do it. But let me ask you, if you want to do it, go ahead and do it. You are giving to God. You can't be wrong giving to God. But the motive behind it is manipulation. People manipulate people to give. There are many ways of giving. In the New Testament, the Bible teaches about being a generous giver. After all, tight is only one-tenth. You can give. In my life as a missionary, I have met Christians who give to God's work. A brother who works in UNICEF, he does not pay tight. Once he takes his salary and takes away what his family needs for a month, everything goes to God. He was given to Nifes, Capro, uh, 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 Foursquare Church, uh, NCCF, uh, uh, Bible Translation, the man has up to 10 people on his missionary support. He just shares it. Please, feel free to give. If you love God, you want to give him your first moon, please go ahead and give it. I don't teach it. It's an Old Testament practice. Can we still do things in Old Testament? You say, yes, not all of them. So that's all I can say. But it's not a theology. It's not a theology. Amen.
in a situation where as a young person you don't really have encouragement from senior colleagues in your field who are Christians. How do you position yourself to make influence? I don't have a fixed answer for that. It's only a counsel. You are not the only young Christian who don't have encouragement. Apostle Paul had that experience. When he repented, initially when he came, they were suspicious of him. Do you remember that? They didn't fully accept him. God raised a Barnabas for him. Son of encouragement. You are not alone. Ask God to raise a Barnabas for you. Just one person that will encourage. That people don't encourage does not mean you will give up. Was Jesus encouraged? Everybody was against him. The Roman Empire, the Pharisees, somebody say, I think it was, uh, uh, what's his name now? Say, is the far you see. The sad you see is the, you, the sad you see. Once you see them, you are sad. The sad you see. The far you see. I think it's Charles Achongwa. <laughs> Reverend Charles, you know him. He can be very funny. Anywhere you are, you have the sad you see. Else, once they, you meet with them, they will make you sad. They are not there to encourage you. It's part of life. But you know something? They are there to challenge you to think beyond them. You have a purpose in that office. Don't be frustrated. If you are in Christ, we can never be frustrated. Can I pray now and round up? Thank you. Thank you for the extra time, Mike. Shall we pray? What is discipleship? It is a training to die. Are you ready to die to your personal ambitions? So that God can use you to advance his kingdom. Discipleship is a training to engage society. Are you willing to be trained to engage your family, your community, your workplace, your local church? Discipleship is a training for a task. Specific task. Where do you fall in here? The Great Commission is about Taking over the world for Jesus. As a doctor, as a nurse, as a teacher, as a civil servant, as a businessman, businesswoman, as a soldier, as a policeman, policewoman, as a judge, as a magistrate. Go into all the world and make disciples. Can you ask the Lord? I submit for this training. Be honest with this. Lord, I want my life to count for your kingdom. I don't just want to, There are many people who believe in Jesus, but Jesus had very few disciples. Lord, let my life count. Take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee take my moment and my That song is a song of consecration. It's a song of discipleship. Lord, take my life and let it be. 
Can you pray for yourself? Lord, make me your disciple. I submit for this training. Help me to die to self and live for you. Training for stewardship. Lord, take my silver and my gold. It shall no longer be mine. Are you ready to be a steward of God's blessings upon your life? Take my intellect and use your education, your degree. Everything about us is for the Lord. Nothing for us. Because our life is no longer our own. The Bible, Apostle Paul says, Since one has died for all, Therefore, it becomes necessary that those of us that live should no longer live for ourselves, but we shall live for him that died for us. Take my silver and my gold, it shall be no longer mine. Father, this is our prayer. We receive help in this regard and to move faithfully to your glory, advancing your kingdom in our places of work and our environment. In Jesus' name we pray. I want to thank God for <clears throat> this morning's session. I want to encourage every one of us to be here on time by 5 p.m. as we continue with God's dealing in the course of this weekend. Tomorrow morning will be by 8 a.m. Those who we have invited, please let's remind them and encourage them. Please, the ICT unit said, they're sending an announcement that if you want the message recording for this morning, you can go up as we share the grace after we take the closing prayer to book your copy. We invite our daddy, Reverend Dr. Chooks, to round off. Let's rise up to our feet and say pray. Father, to you be all the glory. To you, Jesus, be all the To you, be all the glory. Almighty Father, to you be all the glory. To you, Jesus, be all the honor. To you, be all the glory. Our Father, to you be all the glory. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for teaching us this morning. 
We thank you, ancient of days, for the words that we have have heard. We thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the servant, your servants that you have used. We ask that you refresh him, refill him, and strengthen him, O God, for this evening's program. Heavenly Father, as we reconvene by 5 p.m., we pray, O God, that your anointing shall be stronger in this place. In the precious name of Jesus, as we go to rest and come back for the evening session, Lord, we pray that you will invigorate us and cause that indeed your spirit will work in us, O Lord, to make us disciples of yours, advancing your kingdom in every frontier of our lives. In Jesus' precious name, we are praying. Let's share the grace in fellowship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you.